Any questions tonight? We'll continue our discussion on Baba Bhakti later, but I want to just take questions. You had a question? Yes, Mother. Uh, why um, Nami is more merciful than Nami? No, now is more merciful than Nami. Mm-hmm. Why the name is more merciful than the named? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been asked that question before, and a um, uh, simple answer is that um, in your practical experience, you say that you know people because you know their name. If I say, do you know President Obama? You go, yeah, I know, because you know his name. But you don't know him personally, but you know him by his name. So that's a simple example of how the name of a person extends the person hmm, to others and acquaints them with that person in a larger, more extended sense than the person himself can extend himself. The named, the person may not be here, but if we know his name, say, I know him. Hmm? So, um, similarly, the same is the case with, with Krishna. Hmm? So, he extends himself by way of his name. And, also, we find that uh, persons who have offended Krishna, hmm? the person Krishna, the named, hmm? may lose his company, but the name stays with him. Hmm? A good example is Brahma. Brahma offended Krishna hmm? in the Brahma Vimohan Lila. Hmm? He tried to steal Krishna's calves and coward boys. Not a good idea. Hmm. Intended? So he made some offense. Advaita hmm. Charja, he met one person from a Muslim family who only drank milk. Hmm. He took him in and he called him Brahmaharidas. So it's thought that Haridas was born in an outcast by by Hindu social religious standards, outcast family, Muslim family, Muslim birth. Because he offended Krishna, he thought, who is this Krishna? Who is this guy? He eats with his left hand. This is not Vedic and proper proper conduct. So he's born in a family whereby Hindu Brahminical standards, the conduct was unacceptable. Hmm? So, Brahma, big Brahma, was born in a Muslim family. But the name of Krishna, even though he offended Krishna, that's why he had to take such a birth, hmm? the name stayed with him. Indeed, Mahaprabhu called him Namacharja. Hmm? See how generous the name is to stay with him, despite the fact that he offended the form of Krishna. Hmm? Mahaprabhu prays in the Shikshastakam that, that the name is very generous, but I, I don't appreciate. Hmm? Um, and I've made offenses, I have an arthas, and therefore I can't, can't appreciate the sweetness of the name. But he shows that by this kind of remorseful attitude, hmm, that uh, the name stays with him, nonetheless, with one, hmm, and purifies one, and in due course acquaints one directly with the named, with the person. So there are some, this is a common kind of, I started with, way of thinking about how the name of a person extends the person beyond the person's personal um, possibilities. Hmm? Hmm. They say, what's in a name? You say that if someone calls on the phone 
And the children say, oh, somebody called on the phone. And the parents say, did you get his name? Because hmm? if you get the name, even though the person's not there, we have the, we have the person, right? We can catch him. We can find him. We can call him back. Hmm? So there's much in a name, hmm? and in a sense the person is in the name, even if the person is not there. So the name is more widely available, and through it we can access the whole person. And again, in Scripture we find this this is a good example. The name stays with one, even though the person may offend the person of Krishna. Brahma Haridas is the perfect example. Mahaprabhu made an example out of him, named him the, the, the Acharya of teaching how to chant the holy name. And he was remorseful throughout his whole life <laughs> for his uh, offense. That uh, it showed up in him by way of thinking, "Oh, I'm outcast." Um, of course, Mahaprabhu's whole movement was breaking down these caste divisions and sense of outcast. As he, he made, as I say, Haridasa close to him because, despite whatever religious. Hindustan, by whatever religious Hindu standards, he was impure. He was pure because he was um, engaged in bhakti and chanting the holy name. Rupsanathan were also uh, outcast, uh, not in the same way, but because they had uh, taken up service in the government, Muslim government, they had lost their Brahminical status. But Mahaprabhu embraced them. So these are examples of how Mahabharu's mission transcended caste divisions of the time and so forth. And he was distributing his Nam Dharma to anyone and and everyone. And by in regardless of their caste, and if they would take to what he was talking about, they would transcend the whole idea of caste, the whole Varnashram Dharma was the idea. So um, he was very much a social, in a sense, reformer in the context of his being a very radical uh, spiritual reformer. And his main instrument, his main method was was the name chanting. Hmm? And it, as we sang the other day, Nityanandapur would give it out for just faith. Just faith. If you have faith, and take it and chant and so on. So we see practically hmm, that people get the name of Krishna and Krishna's in the name, hmm, but the extent to which Krishna's in the name, which is fully, they don't realize immediately. Nonetheless, the name is with them. Hmm. So they don't experience the named, hmm, but still the name comes to them, Right? widely and and so forth so it's very practical that the name in the form of his name he extends himself in a, to a larger circle of persons than he does his his persona <laughs> hmm? and uh, so in that way I think the name is more generous again if you offend the person Krishna still the name may come hmm? and bless you in the form of his name. So, therefore, the name is non-different from Krishna, but in another sense it's different because it's more generous than Krishna hmm? and makes him available even to the offenders. Hmm? You follow? Hmm? Yeah. What else? <coughs> then when Jagai and Mai are Right, but Jagai and Madai, yeah. When they uh, so they didn't have faith, and he, he, uh, Nityananda still seemed to have mercy on on them. They didn't have faith. That's true. They were offenders. So Nityananda Prabhu reasoned, if I can deliver them, then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu will be known as the friend and deliverer of the most fallen people. So he picked out the most. Um, uh, fallen people, most disqualified people. And it made it his mission 
to uh, deliver them. Hmm? They didn't have faith. We People don't have faith. We still go to them and we still minister to them. We try to awaken faith in them, right? So, Yogai Maharaj didn't have faith. Nityananda Prabhu tried to awaken faith in in them, uh, in Mahaprabhu in, within them, and, and they offended Nityananda Prabhu. Hmm? When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu heard that they had offended Nityananda Prabhu, then he went after them. Hmm? And when he came upon them, he was very um, disturbed with them, and at that time, the one of them, which one, Madai? Madai, he was good. Madai is the one that struck Madai. Hmm. Jagai? He prevented Madai from striking him a second time. So that means like he developed some faith. Jagai had a change of heart, hmm? a slight change of heart, and tried to stop Madai from making further offense. Hmm? And so... Nityananda Prabhu at the same time stopped Mahaprabhu hmm, from destroying them. And instead, uh, he, he gave them bhakti. Hmm? And then they went and they used to stay at one ghat along the bank of the Ganges there and wash everyone's feet who came. Every Vaishnava who came to bathe in the Ganges, they would wash their feet. This is how they conducted themselves throughout their life, and always chanting and so forth. So, yes, they didn't have faith, but Nityananda Prabhu worked to create their faith. Hmm. Uh, that's a different, slightly different subject, but does that help? Yeah. yeah. What else? A question about mukti. Because, you know, like this, we are mentioning today, this one devotee, he was trying to establish that well, you, you mentioned that mukti is an attained state also. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we read about in, like, Brihad Bhagavatam, Rita in the Mangalacharanam, that it says that a mukti devi is taking shelter herself of bhakti devi because, she, because she's been rejected. Mukti devi has been rejected by the devotees, so she's got no shelter, but she has to take shelter of bhakti devi. So, and also how Bhova Mangala Thakur. He's explaining how Mukti is there standing at the doorstep uh, waiting to serve the Vaishnava. So, in that sense, is Mukti Devi, you know, is, is, is actually a personality like Bhakti Devi, or is it just figurative? Or? Well, they're both, so, you know, it's, they're, uh, it's, uh, if you learn the philosophical point through the story and apply it in your life, then you can meet such people as Bhakti Devi and Mukti Devi in, in the subjective world, something like that. Hmm? But if you just take the nice stories and don't understand the points and apply them in your life, then you have a literal understanding and you'll never have a Rasik experience. Hmm? So, but yeah, the point there is that as you began, mukti is an attained state. You see, the, 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 the Maya bodies, they say, you are mukta. You are Brahman. So Brahman is liberated. But we don't teach that we're Brahman. Uh, Gaudi Vaishnavas do not teach that the jiva is Brahman. So for the jiva to attain Brahman, hmm, that's called mukti, one form of mukti. Hmm? Or to attain paramatma, or to attain bhakti. Hmm? These are different um, forms of mukti. So it's not... So someone wants to say, well, mukti... Hmm? Someone was saying that the, the, the condition of mukti is that one is free from material anxieties and... Or, Entanglements, karma, and the and the, and the, and the subtle and gross body that are a product of karma, and the mukta also has a a, a, a form for serving Bhagavan. Mukti hmm? rupam svarupene 
Therefore, as someone was saying, if that's the, the liberated condition, then obviously bhakti is inherent in the jiva, because now the jiva is liberated, and in its liberated condition, the Bhagavatam says it has bhakti. But what that person fails to understand is liberation is not the inherent position of the jiva. Yes, the jiva is not matter. That's true. Hmm? Yes, the jiva is such and not, but it's not Brahman. Hmm? That's why in Bhagavad Bhagavatamrita, Sanatana Goswami says that it's true that the jiva can attain Atmananda, hmm? which is like jivan, 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 jivan mukti. Hmm? Atmananda, without bhakti. Hmm? He said, but that's not saying much of anything. Hmm? But he can't attain Brahmananda hmm? without some form of bhakti. So, the the when the Bhagavatam is speaking in that verse defining mukti, muktirhitvanatarupam svarupinavastiti, it's not talking about experiencing Atmananda like a Socrates or something like that without bhakti. Hmm? That's not a liberated condition. That's the penultimate state before liberation. Hmm? In order to attain liberation, mudbhaktim labhate param, one needs bhakti, brahmabhuta prasanatma. What is the next verse after that? Hmm. This is only by bhakti one can enter into me or attain me. Hmm? The different ways you, you can attain him, you can enter into Brahman, you can attain him in service. Hmm? But these are both liberated states. They aren't the descriptions of the inherent status of the jiva independent of the influence of maya shakti and independent of bhakti which is what people are talking about when they talk about the inherent nature of the jiva so we don't say that the inherent nature of the jiva is that it's liberated we say that liberation is attained. And the nature of that liberation um, is is twofold hmm? in that it's, again, freedom from the entanglement of uh, karma and it involves attaining a suitable form for serving the Lord or entering into Brahman, Brahma Sayuja, depending on the sadhana. Depending on the what the sadhana is determines the type of liberation that you'll attain. So if you have bhakti sadhana, then you're going to attain bhakti. Hmm? If you have jnana mixed with bhakti as your sadhana, then you attain brahma sauja, or it's possible you could attain shantarasa, depending on the measure of the, the extent to which bhakti is in the equation. Hmm? So there are liberated souls without forms, and they're liberated souls with forms. So one with forms are the ones that do sadhana for attaining spiritual forms, for serving Bhagavan. That means their sadhana is bhakti. Hmm? So when the Bhagavatam speaks about the liberated condition, it's not speaking, my point is, about what's inherent in the jiva. Hmm? It's speaking about a, a state that the jiva can attain. Hmm? By the in, influence of bhakti, in their life and through through sadhana. Hmm. True, if it doesn't do bhakti, or it just does bhakti mixed with jnana and has a desire to merge into Brahman, its attainment will be very similar to its 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 constitution. Hmm. Then again, certain aspects of its constitution like its capacity, to, as we've many times discussed, to be a doer, to be an experiencer, to be an apprehender, will not be manifest hmm, in Brahma Sayuja. So, therefore, the bhakti form of liberation, arguably, hmm, is the full uh, potential of the jiva. We can say that the liberated status of the jiva 
is what the jiva is ultimately in terms of applying itself, in terms of its potential. But when they talk about inherent, hmm, they're talking about what, you know, what is the jiva just by itself? Hmm? Of course, the point is it's never by itself. Hmm? That's what the meaning of tatasta is. Hmm? Even in susupti, when it's asleep within Vishnu, its material karma is still there. It hasn't gone away. It's just dormant. Hmm? And when he wakes up, it wakes up and so forth. So where the Bhagavatam speaks about liberation, this gentleman quoted two verses. Each verse is talking about the fact that there is uh, that 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 there are different types of liberation relative to the different types of sadhana, and they are each attained states. Even Brahma Sayuja is an attained state. Brahmananda is an attained state. Atmananda, Atmaram. Sukadeva was Atmaram. Sukadeva was Atmarama. He didn't do any bhakti. He didn't have a guru. As soon as Sukadeva was born, it said, he left and only the trees echoed in response. What is that verse? Yam pravrajantam manapetyapetyakrityam. He just left home. No sangskar, no, means no initiation, no anything. He just left like that. He didn't have a guru. He didn't do any bhakti. He attained Atmaram. He is the classical Atmarama in the scripture. Right? Atmarama Chamunayo Nigrantapirukmi, the famous verse that uh, uh, Mahaprabhu explained to Sarvabhoma. Hmm? And uh, that is it's, it's just it's, it's, it, it, it's a, poses a central question to the Bhagavatam. Why did an Atmarama take the trouble to study the Bhagavatam? I mean, we've discussed this. Hmm? Because it contains something more hmm, than Atmaram and Atmananda, hmm, than Jivananda. Hmm? It contains Bhaktiananda, hmm? by which the qualities of Bhagwan are showcased. Itambhuta Gonohari, therefore I said, that just touches the nature of the qualities of Bhagwan. What is the meaning of Bhagwan's qualities without Bhakti? Hmm? Bhagwan appears in different places with different qualities that correspond with the bhakti of the devotees there. Hmm? He goes to Dwarka, he has certain qualities. He goes to Matura, he has different qualities. In the Braj, he has different qualities. Hmm? In Bhatsali Rasa, you see slightly different qualities we'll emphasize. In Sakya Rasa, Madhuri Rasa, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, Itambhutoganohari, such are the qualities as that, why did he read it? Why did he study the Bhagavatam? Why did he take up? Such is the nature of the qualities of Hari that they attract even liberated souls. Hmm? And those qualities are you know, not independent, if you will, of bhakti. Hmm? So this is so like central to the text. Hmm? The position of Sukhdev, he's the main speaker of the whole book. It's the whole you know, lesson, in a sense, right there. Hmm? Bhakti transcends... Um, Mukti, it, it, and it, or uh, Mukti unto itself, and it transcends the Atmaram, Atmananda, Jibananda. So he didn't have any bhakti. Hmm? He didn't do any bhakti. Then Vyas preached, sent, sent the woodcutter, sent the verses to him. So he got bhakti from outside. Hmm? The well-wishing of Vyas, as we were saying the other night. So then he came to Vyasa's hermitage. Then he studied the Bhagavatam. That's bhakti. Then he took up bhakti. And when he took up bhakti, then he could understand the Bhagavatam. And then he was the suitable person at that point to speak to Maharaj Pariksit and enlighten him hmm, about the the best thing one can do in life. Sabai pumsa paro dhamma yato bhakti rhoksajay. So he, in, he technically wasn't even fully liberated. He hadn't attained Brahman. He attained Jivan Mukti, not Videha Mukti. Hmm? Atmaram, Atmananda, hmm? Jivananda, but not Brahmananda, not even, even and not Bhaktiananda. 
each of which can only be attained with bhakti. So, so yeah, mukti is an is an attained state, and this is different than the maya bodies. Well, you see, that person was more or less speaking maya but this is mukti. This is the condition of the jiva. When you clear off maya, this is the jiva. Hmm? It's technical, but it's an interesting point. I mean, the, the jiva is different from matter. That's true. Hmm? So it's never. Mixed up with matter, it's always Satchitananda, but that's one thing. But it's not merged in Brahman. Hmm? Do you follow? It's, a, it's an important point, a subtle point. Hmm? It seemed like that commentator just it was over. No one's over his head. The jiva then, then after it comes back out, it has some qualities to take uh, birth and certain thing. What 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 is that's called qualities are connected to the jiva that that's that's this karma from the previous life cycle when he goes to sleep within the Mahavishnu. The karma of Everything comes to rest, and again they start. The world cycle starts again, and the karma comes. It, it's just like this. You have all kinds of qualities, right, and things that you do, and then you go to sleep. Where do they go? You maybe let's say you are funny. Okay, but when you go to sleep, where does funny go? <laughs> where does this funniness go? It's gone now. Hmm? When you wake up, ah, then he starts joking again. He says, go back to sleep. Back to sleep. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> every night when you go to sleep, hmm, that if you think about that, that is a small microcosmic example of what's happening in a macrocosmic sense. Vishnu is sleeping and waking, sleeping and waking. And when he sleeps, everything goes to rest. When, he, when, just like when you go to sleep at night, everything collapses. It's still there, but when the, when you come to the waking state, then it all manifests again. Hmm? And there, the person again assembles himself. He gets up and cleans himself. Here I am, and I'm funny. Just look at me. Look in the mirror, and he laughs at himself. So. So I mean, it's uh, anyway. So these, so so Vishnu on a large scale, everything collapses and then everybody comes out again. Something like that. And that's called susupti. So it's a state of kind of suspended animation. The animation is suspended, and then it starts again. Just like when you wake up and go to sleep at night. Same thing. When you go to sleep at night, and you don't dream then you're just in deep sleep. When you wake up, you go, ah, that was felt good, I was resting. Hmm. So you're, how do you know you're resting? Unless you experienced it. Hmm. You can't remember something you didn't experience. So the point is, that you are experiencing restfulness. Hmm. So, susupti is like that. And Brahman, Brahma Sayuja is similar to that also. In one sense, the difference between Brahma Sayuja and Susupti means that merging in Brahman, the difference between that and entering into Mahavishnu at the end of the world cycle and sleeping until it starts again. In one sense, the difference is with regard to the world cycle, it starts again. Entering into Brahman, you don't wake up again. Hmm? It's just like deep anesthesia. Hmm. Uh, so, therefore, deep sleep hmm, is compared to susupti and it's also compared to, to Brahman, to give us some idea. But the difference between it, again, and Brahman is that, that it's like in the day, you wake up every day and there again, you're 
your qualities, your karma, your you got to go to work. Oh, yep, there it goes again. Couldn't dream it away. Hmm? There it is. So uh, it comes to arrest you again. Hmm? So this is like susupti deep sleep, then it manifests. But Brahman, then you enter there, you don't wake up. And for the Gaudi people, they don't think it's a very desirable position. It's like, they call it like spiritual suicide. Kaivalyam, not a kayate. Worse, they'd rather go to hell, they say, than that. There's, there's no opportunity for bhakti there. Hmm? But it's a type of liberation that some people desire. Hmm? And it is the end of all suffering, which is no small thing. Hmm? So people are ready to go undergo all types of suffering to attain it. Hmm? They figure, I can put myself into all kinds of suffering with tapasya. I can hang myself by the tree like this. Right? <laughs> or, you know, sit by the fire in the, in the sun at noon, enter the Ganges in the cold winter at the, on the coldest night like this, stay there all night. I can suffer all kinds of things to end suffering. Hmm? But to serve, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> that's that's too much. That's too much suffering. Mm. Rather to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Mm. So, this is the Jeeva's sorry kind of plight. Mm. And in the pursuit of mukti, we don't find any service. Mm. Where's the bhakti in the pursuit of mukti? If, where's, if you do bhakti for mukti, what, what kind of bhakti is that? That's not the kind of bhakti Jiva Goswami is talking about. Hmm? Someone was trying to say, well, the, the jiva is inherently, you know, a servant. Hmm? The jiva in, in the material world is inherent. Everything it does is exploiting. It's not serving at all. It looks like serving, but it's actually one form or another, one degree or another of exploitation. Hmm? It's not doing much. Hmm? The fellow was saying, well, as you see, there's there's faith in the jiva because it's in, in, even the child has faith in the mother. It's just the modes of nature, it's all it is. Hmm? And faith is in different modes. Hmm? Faith in bhakti, that's another thing. Where are you going to get that? You're going to get that by only by hearing from a bhakta. Hmm? If you get that faith in bhakti, then you can tread the actual path of bhakti hmm? and attain bhakti. Hmm? Bhakti proper, bhava bhakti, prem bhakti. Hmm? What was your question? Um, well, it was quite superficial now that I think about it. Okay. <laughs> it's about Mukti Devi. I see. Yeah, Mukti Devi. You've explained it now. Mukti Devi, Bhakti Devi, these can just be stories, or they can be uh, realities. They can only be realities to the extent that you apply the teachings that those figures um, represent. Therefore, always seeking the ground of the, the, the tattva to apply the, in our, the principles in our life. Then we can become a rasika. But then your your experience of Bhakti Devi, Mukti Devi, whoever, whatever, is not going to be like the guy that, the nectar hound that memorizes, you know. The Skopi wears this, and the Skopi wears that, and making your book, and very, you know, literal, and uh, and just committing something, you know, as they say, like to memory, and that's why one time in ISKCON they had this they they started this thing called the Krishna Bowl and devotees would get together I was never involved in it but they would get together and then they would study the Krishna book and then they would have a contest and someone would say 
okay, you know, for two points, something like that, uh, you know, who can say that uh, what, uh, you know, uh, who was the presiding uh, deity of the Rajasuya? You know, Krishna, you know. Okay, he's got two points. And then they were doing like this. And their idea was that this was how they would remember, you know, Krishna. Um, and um, Prabhupada stopped the whole thing. He didn't like it. Hmm. So it's a very kind of, it's a, it's a not a very deep understanding of how to how to become preoccupied with what, what Krishna is. Hmm. And then you and you run into the problems when you're doing that. You go, you know, wait a minute here. You know, it's said that Maharaj Nanda had nine hundred thousand cows, and it said Vrindavan is this many square miles. I figured it out. There's not enough room for nine hundred thousand cows. Prabhupada, one of Prabhupada's disciples, said that to him. He said, "You read too much. You're trying to." enter into it in an artificial way with your, arrest it with your intellect, capture, capture it in your memory and regurgitate it, something like that. It's not an entirely bad thing, but it's not, it's not what, what, um, what the scriptures are telling you to do. Hmm. You're telling us lessons, even the, even the Leelas are giving us lessons how to apply ourselves. You take the Govardhan Leela, I mean, if so many things are being taught there. Like, you should give up Varnashram. Like, you know, don't, don't believe in, in demigods. What about Indra? He's right there. The teaching is, don't believe in him. Sarvadharma, just believe in Krishna. Just don't have, put faith in the demigods. These are so. These are all points. I see many devotees miss the points. Hmm? So, just to recite the stories like that may not be very useful. Hmm? But if you if you understand and apply the points, then you can become a rasika. But then you can just tell the stories. Hmm? Live in them. And they'll be, they'll be an Indra and everybody for you. Hmm. What else? Gordon Ryan, you had a question? Yeah, that's uh, kind of a dumb question. Just thinking, like. It's one of those nights. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, just, if you could have any one wish fulfilled, what would be the correct thing to wish for? Um, well, um,. Could be answered in an, in a number of ways, I think, all of which are more or less saying the same thing. But what I wish for, what I would always wish for, would be to have the Krishna would bless me, to act in such a way that my guru would be pleased with me, because then I thought then my life would be perfect. Hmm. No, that was my formula. So, but again. The idea is, well, you know, you, you can say it in any number of ways, but um, we basically wish for, for pure bhakti, hmm. right? But that's a very, like, well-thought-out way. <laughs> that's the way it works, something like you could say, I pray to have taste in Harinam, you know, or I pray that I could attain love of Krishna, uh, but I would always play it out in such a way that would make, um, which kind of talked about the method actually at the same time. So does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but something like that. I mean, our wish should be to to um, to please Krishna, and we know. But if Krishna's devotee is pleased, Krishna will be pleased. So this is scientific, if you will. The Gaudi Vaishnava is very much like that. See, it shows how much the Gaudi people know Krishna. That's why they say Jairadhi. You know, if Radharani is pleased, Krishna will be pleased. 
Other people chanting Krishna, Krishna, and they don't chant Radha's name. Hmm. Not interested in her. No. What do they understand? How much can they please Krishna? Or the Kanishtarikari that doesn't, doesn't want a guru, just wants to serve Krishna. They want to be troubled by the guru scene. Just serve Krishna. Hmm. But they, they miss out on the way in which Krishna makes himself available, right? Through his devotees. Hmm? They offend the name by avoiding the guru because to avoid the guru is one of the nam aparads. Hmm? Yes? I heard that, uh, which I guess is wrong, that uh, the nature of the soul is always moving, so even if you enter into Brahman, that you eventually want to come out. Uh-huh. Yeah, the uh, Prabhupada used to say that the soul by nature is active. Hmm. And what he meant by that is that the is that the soul, the Atma, animates the body, matter. Hmm. The jiva, the, the matter is said to be an equilibrium, hmm, state of equilibrium. And the Vishnu activates it by reflecting on it hmm, and projecting consciousness into matter, so to speak. And so then, then the modes start to move and the whole thing. So it's consciousness... The, the, that's the active principle. Hmm? Matter has its own movements, but it, but those movements are set in motion, if you will, by the jiva. So that's what Prabhupada meant in general when he said the soul by nature is is active. Now, that said, the the idea of merging into Brahman hmm, is. Um, there's a verse from the Bhagavatam that says, that says what? Yenye Rabindaksha Vimuktamaninas. Abhishuddha Buddha. Abhishuddha Buddha. Anyway, but one, one, uh, one who, um, there are people that think they're liberated, they've attained Brahman, but actually they're not, and their consciousness is not, their intelligence is not purified. And because they offend bhakti, <coughs> they don't care for bhakti, they fall down. So this verse is often cited, and this is the verse Prabhupada would cite to say that they fall down. But um, if we study carefully, we see the verse, for example, is invoked in Chaitanya Charitamrita, and it and and Krishna Kaviraj is describing it as Jivan Mukta stage. Hmm. Jivan Mukti, the stage of Jivan Mukti. Hmm. Jivan Mukti is again the stage before entering into Brahman. Jivan Mukti means. For the for the jnani, hmm? that all the the karma, the last vestiges of karma, are this body, and it's playing itself out, and the jivan mukta is not reacting to it, just sitting, witnessing, body's doing different things, and the karma expends itself, death, and the the jivan mukta attains brahman. So it's waiting for its karma to finish. Okay. So the stage of Brahman realization, if you will, called Jivan Mukti, is a stage from which one can fall down. Hmm? As Krishna demonstrates by the language, for example. And also... When you, but when you enter into Brahman itself, that's called Videha Mukti, hmm? leaving the body, entering into to, to Brahman. Then there, there's nowhere to go. There's there's no one. There's no sense of individuality or any other. Nowhere to go. There's no up. There's no down. There's no. So there's no falling from there. Hmm? That is beyond the gunas. Hmm? There's no falling from there. And Vishwanath Chakravarti Sakra says there's no attaining bhakti from there. Theoretically, you could say, 
one could get somehow good association, but he says they never. Once they merge in Brahman, they never attain bhakti. So the point is still um, good in a sense that if you attain jivan mukti and and you offend bhakti, from there you will fall down. If you don't offend bhakti and you factor some bhakti into your life, respect bhakti, and so then you can attain Brahma Suja. Once you change, attain there, I mean, from the Gaudi position, <laughs> what's the question of falling for one who's already fallen? <laughs> so, so Brahman is like a it's like a suicide condition. But you don't fall back into the modes of nature. But from the last this stage, just before entering there, you can. And often that's talked about as you know, he's he's a jivan mukta, so he's liberated, but he again falls down. He has no place to. He's hovering, but no place to land. If he merges into Brahman, then that's it. He's still an individual, but he'll never know it. No, never will anybody else know it. <laughs> so it's not a very desirable situation for the jiva. There's no, and there's no environment for him to be, to move in relation to. So it's kind of eternal stillness. But Prabhupada was very, of course, anti-Mayavad, you know, for good for good reasons. And so sometimes he would stretch it a bit and say, even if you attain, still you will fall. But technically speaking, the verses that he would cite to support that are speaking about the Jivan Mukti stage, not Videha Mukti. What else? Yes. So when you say that uh, happiness that comes from Brahmananda is much uh, greater than happiness coming from that comes from Atmananda. You mean the Jivan Mukta stage, not the Brahmasuja stage? Brahmasuja stage is it, it, you can have Brahmasuka, hmm. so, Brahmananda. So I was thinking, how come it can be greater if mm, the person who merges into Brahman? There's still individuality, but this person is not aware of anything, yeah. nothing to experience. So how can it be any kind of happiness? That's what Sanatana Goswami says, yeah. Therefore, the happiness is described as just being relief from suffering, the end of suffering. But it depends, of course. You know, if you, if from a Mayavoy point of view, forget it, because we don't even agree that, that, this, that the condition that the Mayavads seek to attain is attainable or, attainable or exists. Hmm? They think there is no jiva, the jiva is Brahman, so forget that. So the jiva merges with Brahman in some capacity. Hmm? It merge, it's, it's just like you, you merge with a person by fully identifying with them, but you're merging with a non-person, with a nirvishesh. Hmm? So you're, you're, you're merging with that. And, and you don't have vishesh, you don't have distinguishing characteristics per se. Hmm? Um, and those that might be, that cause you to have distinguishing characteristics, that which within you, that would cause you to have, in relation to a particular environment, well, that environment's not there, hmm? to desire in relation to, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, you enter Brahman, and um, what is it like? Hmm? You're trying to like, it doesn't, you know, I agree with you, it doesn't seem very, make a lot of sense, it doesn't. Therefore, Rupa Goswami um, says that the, the, the merging into Brahman, if, that, if the happiness of that could be multiplied a trillion fold, it wouldn't compare to one atomic particle of the happiness of Prem Bhakti. And Sanatana Goswami goes on and on and on in Brihad Bhagavatamrita about how the happiness of attaining Brahman is negligible. It's, it's basically relief for material existence. Hmm. The end of suffering. So, the end of suffering is joyful. Okay. So, what happens with you? And it's just like, that's, that's why we call it like, like a spiritual suicide. It's like a grave, big graveyard. Hmm. 
So it's very hard for the bhakti mind to relate to it at all. We kind of just like short circuit on it. How could somebody want it? What it? What is it? They call it. Um, what did I say? Hmm? Yeah, but I often use another term. I say that it's it's it's. Uh, um, uh, contentless awareness. You know, awareness of what? Of nothing. Awareness of something with no content. What? What are you aware of? No content. Hmm. So it's it's very empty. Hmm. It's very uh, nihilistic. And they talk about it. The, 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 you know, you get your neo-advaitans today, and they're all they're talking about is destroying the self, destroying the self. That's what they. Talk, that's their whole preoccupation: destroy the self, destroy the individuality, destroy the self. That's the whole sadhana. Hmm? Because all the they, 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 the self is they don't they don't start to think who's destroying the self. I mean. <laughs> That doesn't get, you know, I don't get that far. To, to destroy the self. But that's the whole sadhana. So what kind of result are you going to get compared to the bhakti sadhana, where the whole sadhana is to love Krishna, to serve, hmm? to serve. So they don't want to move. Hmm? Service means you got to move. Hmm? Right? you got to move. So... Uh, uh, this is the this is the, the the full potential of the jiva to be on the move for Krishna, hmm? to not want that and want to just rest forever, hmm? and the whole preoccupation again to destroy the self. Hmm? All these are all the neo Vedans, Buddhists, just that's the whole chic popular talk. Destroy the self. Might want to take a look at this. I'm sure that's what you want to do. And who's doing it? Who's killing who? Who's killing the self? What's what's left over? So it's a very the Greek Christians. This is a very abstract idea. It's weird. It's very very difficult to get your head around. That's what Krishna says in the Gita. The same thing. You're going like what? Krishna says, "Yep, it's weird." <laughs> it's very hard to wrap your head around. It's kind of double talk and stuff so therefore Krishna says to Arjuna just the best thing is to, is to love me that makes the most sense hmm. it's very simple very easily explained and as I said the other night too it's very our idea of bhakti of what we will do in a liberated condition is what we do here hmm. we do things we apprehend, we experience, but all in relation to Krishna. Bhagavan Shri Krishna ki jai. Daoji Gopal ki jai. Guru Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivedanta ki jai. Gaur Premanandi.